0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp, and I'm here with MacWorld Executive Editor Michael Simon, as well as Computer World Executive Editor Ken Mingus. We have a really special show today. Not only are we going to be talking about the um, Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro and the Tensor chip, and you know how it will sort of stack up to the iPhone 13, but we also, after um, Ken and Mike Dipp, we will have a segment with Computer World Managing Editor for Features, Val Potter, as well as Computer World Writer, Charlotte Truman, about making hybrid workplace and a hybrid workplace successful. We are live on LinkedIn as well as on YouTube. So if you have any questions during this segment or the next segment, please do leave them in the comments or the chat and we will do our best to respond to you live while we're on air. So the Google Tensor Tensor is the new system on a chip. And I guess is this the f- i mean certainly one of you would know is this a new step for like android phones in general or is this just a new thing just to google like did does samsung have their own system on a chip
1: they do yeah. um first of all we're the special part of this special edition show julia you, you I don't, neglected, I don't you I mean, neglected of, to mention that I, i'm telling That's you true. over the
2: next hour <laughs> so there's a lot of computer world people here i think you're outnumbered dude <laughs> anyway um
1: yeah uh samsung makes its own system on chip It's uh, Exynos processor it's not usually available in the U.S. Um, it's more of an international thing it's 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 been a bit of a point of contention for Samsung fans because um, the Qualcomm chips are usually better faster more efficient that type of stuff Um, Samsung made a pretty big leap with the most recent chip and the number fails me but it was it came out in January for the for the S21 but in the U.S. we still got the Snapdragon 888 you know because it's, it's part of whatever licensing deal, whatever they have with Qualcomm, uh, North America always gets the, um, the Snapdragon chips. And that's usually true of every major Android phone, every Android phone, period. I mean, it's not even major, the flagships get the, the, the better one, which right now is the 888 5G, uh, phone, uh, chip. And then there's a, there's a 700 series, a 600 series, and then they go down from there. But Qualcomm has that locked here until, until really now. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a watershed moment for Google and for Android in general, although Google says that the tensor chip is strictly for the pixel, Mm -hmm. pixel six. It didn't say, you know, we're going to be licensing this chip and I would be shocked if they did. That's not really Google's thing. They're much like Apple in that regard. They, they keep their stuff for themselves. You know, Android gets what Android gets, but since the pixel launched, uh, what was it? 2015. 15 maybe 2016 since it launched sick, um, right yeah yeah it sure. right 6 years so right um 2015 2012 2015 2015 they um you know they have treated that phone as like the the like the ultimate vessel for android kind of like what ios i mean there's no other way to get ios but it's a similar type of a thing like if you want that integration uh between hardware and software Mm -hmm. this is the phone to get now caveat it really hasn't been as great as it could or should be and that's why i'm interested uh i'm I'm interested in the chip no uh all right let let me stop before i get too deep into this ken do you do you want to add something well yeah i mean
2: yes let me let me break it up just a bit uh you know just a larger picture here uh, you know, obviously, the you know, the way Apple has pitched itself and its devices is with its own, basically building its own chip. It it com- it commands the stack, the hardware, the software, and therefore iPhone users get a better experience because Apple's in charge of everything. Right. It also it also removes weird supply chain issues. Sometimes it should remove weird supply chain issues, meaning Apple doesn't have to re- you know rely on other suppliers. In in terms of what Google's doing, you know, actually JR Raphael Raphael had uh, a blog post up on CW uh, this morning talking about some of the takeaways. And I thought one of the interesting points that he made is that by doing it this way, uh, Google will be able to basically offer software support because it's its own chip as long as it wants to. This is another way for Google to really differentiate the pixel line from other Android phones. And no, you know, many people may not care, but I think the tech savvy crowd, uh, you know, who want the unadulterated Android experience or as best as they can get, closest they can get to that, on on the Google. This is one more sort of flag and the, you know, stake in the ground basically from Google saying we're unique. You know, this is different than you know Samsung or whoever else. Does that does that jive with what you're you're, you're thinking, Michael?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much updates are affected by the chip Mm -hmm. um google offers three years samsung offers three years for for a lot of its newer phones um yeah in in the apple doesn't have like a guarantee like when you buy an iphone they don't say you're going to get five years of updates but that's what they offer five or six even in some cases and there's been some pressure on android to say hey this is enough enough is enough particularly when it comes to security because three years really isn't enough when you're buying a thousand dollar phone. You know, we, I always say, with the exception of of Ken, most people hold on to their phones for more than a year, more than I'm, two I'm, years. Maybe you know, we haven't gotten to the thirteen yet. I'm, this may be the year that I finally <laughs> oh, crack. Oh, yeah, I heard uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, no, I'm serious. Uh-huh, anyway,
2: sure. <laughs> that'll be for a future future uh, edition of the show.
1: But you know, it's important as these phones get way more expensive and less subsidized and all that stuff. Like people hold on to them. People hold on to the iPhone 6. iPhone iOS 15 will support the iPhone 6S from 2015, I think. That's impressive. You know, we're getting six years out of that. And, you know, there are going to be people out there that have that phone and use that phone every day mm-hmm. and need those and you know, need need security updates, need regular feature updates. Yeah, of course, not everything works and it's not as fast as the newer phones and all those all those caveats apply. But you should when you buy a thousand dollar phone or an 800 hundred dollar phone or whatever it is and google has said this is going to be a premium phone so we're, we're looking at a thousand dollars for the for the for the six pro i would think um you should be guaranteed more than three years three years is 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 should be table stakes at this point yeah and it should be for 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 those phones the s21 s22 whatever samsung calls it next year the, the pixel six pro i would expect four even five years guaranteed of updates, like when you get an iPhone, you know, you know, peace of mind. And I think that, you know, people might not care in the sense that that's not fueling their buying decision, but they care and they notice. And it used to Mm -hmm. be where two years down the line, Samsung was like, no, we're not, we're not bothering with those anymore. But I wasn't that long ago, S8 maybe. It wasn't, it was only a few years, a few years ago when you were lucky to get two years of updates out of your, out of your Android phone. So they've come a long way. But, yeah, they can do even better. And I don't know enough about chip manufacturing and design and structuring to to know if that matters, but it certainly can't hurt in that regard.
2: So I'm curious, Michael, what do you think? And, again, I'm cribbing from the, the piece JR had this morning mm-hmm. uh, about the pivot back to, like, the you know, that this is going to be the high-end premium phone yeah. uh, from, from Google, the Pixel. Because last year it was sort of the opposite. Yeah. And in, in previous years it was – sort of what they're saying now. So I- any thoughts on, on why Google sort of went the route it did last year and is now returning and saying, no, this is the flagship premium phone, you
1: you know, and it will be worth the price. Yeah, my thought is that Google is completely and totally terrible and has no idea what it's doing with this stuff. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if in two years we go back to a mid-range. Phone. Oh God, like they, they just no. don't, they don't know what to do oh. with the Pixel. This is what it should have been all along. Yeah. It's supposed to be the iPhone of Android. and and on paper that's what we're getting here that's also what they said the pixel 4 was and the pixel 3 and the pixel 2 and the original pixel the original pixel had a hopelessly outdated design and was like 700 bucks it wasn't cheap it wasn't and it looked cheap Mm -hmm. and it was you know it was about the ai stuff at which at the time was very novel google assistant was very was very young if if uh, if you will. And it was a big deal. That stuff was a big deal. And that's what this is. So Tensor, why they're calling it the Tensor chip, Tensor's their AI and It's the AI ML stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't know what the CPU and GPU is. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's just straight up Qualcomm uh, Cortex stuff. Not Qualcomm, uh, 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 Cortex cores. Like it's going to be similar in power processing graphics to probably the 800 series chips. I don't think we're going to get blow away speeds like we do with the A15, but this is the first generation. And maybe that stuff will come, maybe it won't, but to your point, this is the problem we have with trusting Google to do any of this stuff. Because it, it could loses all its focus change tomorrow. Yeah, it could like all go it, away. it sees it sees the next shiny object and and it runs that in that direction. Yeah. There was a time when Google was killing it with one camera and they said, Oh, that's all we need. Now we have three. <laughs> there was a time when there was a dedicated image single pr- processor. Now we have a system on chip with that stuff. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem to really know what it wants to do with hardware and also software. There's, there's a dedicated uh, website killed by Google with less everything that Google <laughs> ever had and, and killed. And there's a lot of stuff there, a ton of stuff. Look at its messaging. Hangouts, chat, messages, uh uh, uh uh all this stuff. Like it's 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 very unclear and unfocused with its strategies. It always has been. But right. I all have right. from day wait what?
0: Um, we have a few um, viewer questions, unless you want to wax questions. poetic a
1: little bit more I'm just You can interrupt
2: me. Get him before he starts a rant. So, <laughs> so quick.
0: we have um, a few viewer questions, and some of these are echoing my questions. So the first one is, um, and you reference this a little bit, Mike, has the price of the Pixel 6 been revealed? So you're saying that it's it's a it premium phone, revealed. so you're thinking uh, it'll be higher end.
1: Well, it, absolutely. We will On it. The, a couple of quotes from from Rick, Rick Osterloh, who is the hardware chief. Mm-hmm. He told The Verge that it's going to be a premium product. Right. He told, uh, uh, I think it was, um, Android developers that it will be an expensive product. All right. So he's he's definitely softening the blow. Like this isn't going to be a seven hundred dollar phone. This is probably nine and a thousand nine for the Pixel six, maybe a thousand for the Pixel Pro, maybe more. It's it's going to be uh, in the price of the iPhone. It'll be th- with the, top end iPhone. Mm-hmm. the, the yeah. higher end, higher end Samsung phones and the higher end iPhones. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: So then the other viewer question, and this is from LinkedIn. And again, if you have any questions while we are live, please do leave them either in the comments on LinkedIn or on the live chat on YouTube, and we will answer them while we are live. So this is from LinkedIn as well. Like I said, compared to the iPhone, let's say compared to the upcoming iPhone 13, any rumors around it? What are the pros in the Pixel 6? Great question.
1: I'm, yeah, it's a good question. We don't really know. So what Google has told us is the chip. Right. That was the big, the big, the big That's reveal the big news. Mm-hmm. was the, was the Tensor chip. They've told us that the Pro will have three cameras, which will bring a telephoto lens for the first time, or if not the first time, the first time in a couple of generations. generations, uh, the Pixel 6 will have two cameras, which is wide and telephoto, uh, uh, wide and ultra wide. Okay. So we know that uh, it'll get Android 12, which obviously we, we, we know that. Uh, the design is something of a, of an, of a unique a, a, a point in that it has what Google's calling a camera bar. It's so if, a line, yeah. Yeah, it's a bump. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. it, if, if anyone uh, watching this has ever used the Nexus 6P from, Jesus, 2013, maybe? It was a long time ago. All three of you. Yeah, no, no, I I I I have one somewhere. Okay. it was a good Four. phone. Man. Come on. It, it, it was good, it was a good phone. Stop. But uh if anyone ever used that phone or saw that phone, it's it's very reminiscent of that. That was a monster, monster phone. It was huge. Yeah. And and at the top it had a little bar, a big bar across the top that um kind of jutted out a bit and and contained all the camera hardware. That's what this is. And Google uh they've done a nice job. There's like a two-tone color pattern, so above the camera bar is a different color than the one below it. It looks very nice in pictures. Um, I'm gonna say that it's it's probably ergonomically pretty nice too, because your 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 hand um, kind of naturally needs a place to rest, and it looks like that will provide that. So I think design-wise, it looks pretty cool. The front is, you know, my pet peeve is bezels that are not balanced. And this looks to be a little bit off balance with with the screen, but it's a, a 6.4 inch and 6.7 inch screen. The the Pro will be uh, 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 1440p, I think. I think uh, quad HD plus, whatever that is. And the 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 non-Pro will be full HD. They'll they'll be OLED. You know, so very similar to the iPhone. The iPhone 6.1, 6.7. It's similar to that. That's 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 all we know so far. I Google know. hasn't told us about any features or really any camera features, which I'm sure there will be plenty, mm-hmm. uh, what it's doing with this AI stuff. You know, there's going to be a lot there. If they're calling this a tensor chip, the AI stuff will be next level because it always is. Mm-hmm. Google's, Google Assistant blows away Siri. Google's AI processing and photos, all that stuff, they're, they're, they're top of their game. And if they're bringing all that into the on chip, into the device, onto the device itself. There's a lot that they can do.
3: All right. Yeah, I, I was
1: just
2: gonna say real quick, I think it's welcome to see something like this. I oh, think Apple absolutely. Needs in competition, Please. You competition know, along these lines. And uh, I don't know if people are actively comparing Android and iPhone devices these days, you tend to be locked into one ecosystem or the other. But you know, I mean, something like this is the kind of thing that might draw some techie I, iPhone users to to at least consider Android.
1: I think it's different. When we're talking about google google and android yes it's android but it's also google and it's a different it's a different mindset so i do i do think that apple buyers iphone buyers will consider depending on the price and where the availability like google has shot itself in the foot numerous times with pixels by it was exclusive to verizon at first and it was too expensive and then you couldn't get one and they're not great at actually delivering hardware but once you know it, it's kind of like uh for those of you who know the peanuts comic strips lucy football and charlie brown always thinks he's gonna kick it this is another one of those where every year i'm like oh good another pixel phone and i'm all excited and I'm like because they always somehow find a way to mess it up but i'm a big fan of this move <laughs> i'm a big fan of the pixel six moving to premium again mm-hmm. though. i also kind of like the mid-range move i wish they would find a way to do both
4: mm-hmm. and
1: I, I do. I agree with Ken in that the iPhone it needs more competition. the The, the Galaxy isn't really it. It's a great phone, but yeah. to your point, that's not competition. They're they're peers. It's yeah. a different thing. Google and Apple are competitors.
0: So. Agreed. We have another chip-related question from LinkedIn, and another great question. The, this viewer is asking: Is Google making the chip, the Tensor chip, totally on its own, or is Google partnering with some other chip manufacturing company?
1: Yeah, uh, rumors are that it's Samsung is going to be manufacturing. Right, I saw that. Which, which makes sense because they make good chips. So yeah, uh, they're partnering now. Google always partners. I mean, they don't. They, they don't even technically make their own hardware. Uh, HTC made the first couple of pixels, and then they bought that whole team to make it. Gotcha. So, there it, it it'll be a partnership. Uh, uh, Google just doesn't doesn't really have like Apple. Apple is a hardware company. Mm-hmm. Google is a software company, so they don't have that that build out yet. Maybe they're going to have it. Maybe they'll make their own, they'll fabricate their own chips at some point in the future. I don't know. But right now, it doesn't look like it.
0: So this is a question just from me, not necessarily from the audience, but I'm guessing, I'm just wondering, like, where does, you know, Google now with a Tensor chip and then, I mean, Apple's been making its own iPhone chips for a while, but yeah. where does it kind of leave, like, the Qualcomm's of the world for, like, for, I guess when just to come, when just, just, when it comes to a system on a chip, because is Apple using Qualcomm 5G modems or are they using different 5G? Uh, they are. Okay.
1: For for, for at least another for for another year or two, maybe 3. Okay. Um they 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 bought so Apple bought Intel's modem division which never really got off the ground. Uh, I think in 2019.
0: Right, yeah, I remember that.
1: So they're building their own 5G modem, it's not ready for the iPhone 13, probably won't be ready for the iPhone 14 either these things, you know, they they they're not an overnight thing and you need that 5G modem to work you know <laughs> without interruption so they're using the same uh the same the same modem that's in android phones is the same modem that's in iphones at the moment and it will be for a little while i highly doubt that google gets into that game and i also don't know what it means so all right for one the pixel is a very 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 small part of qualcomm's uh licensing catalog sure you know, they're not a big player. They're not even in the top five, probably not even the top 20, as far as phone sales. So as far as that goes, it doesn't really make much of a dent, but much like Apple and Intel, if this tensor chip comes out and it's real blow away stuff with the, with the neural engine that will put some pressure on Qualcomm to respond,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I think.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to push them out or anything like no, that anytime no, no. soon. They have a but they any, have a
1: they're they have a monopoly by for all yeah. intents and purposes.
2: But anytime you've got somebody of the size of Google come along and develop again, as you say Michael, if it does, you know, if it blows the competition away, that's going to force them to sort of step up. Yeah. You know, you get that constant sort of battle and I think it's a good thing. We,
1: we'll, you know, yeah. we'll see how it Competition plays out of that. is competition is always good. Always yeah. good.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we are um, wrapping up here with your statement, we do have just a few more questions, and this is yeah, just a final yeah, call. This is great. Final, yeah. final call, for, call for any questions.
1: I should I should I should rant about Google more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so this question is from a LinkedIn viewer. What technology will Google's chip be based on, and how many? I assume nanometer technology. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, we don't really know that stuff, but it looks to be based on that Core Tech cortex
0: right right right
1: snapdragon and mm-hmm. probably 5 nanometers okay but uh, google hasn't released that yet we're just kind of speculating and going off of rumors but it looks to be very similar to the higher end snapdragon processors
2: i'd be willing to bet if they had gone to three nanometers we'd hear about it now yeah. they'd be talking it up yeah. you know
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so for silence sure. there indicates probably five Yeah, I, I would think and seven is kind of passe yeah. for mobile phones now so five yeah, i'm sure wouldn't be talking yeah. about that yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i guess the, my final question kind of is like um what's what's the when when can we see um the pixel six they had like this do they normally make a big hardware announcement yep. every year? Is it at yeah, I they do. Google I/O? Did I make that up?
1: Uh, Google I/O is separate. That's a developer conference. Right. Sometimes right okay. They release something like hardware the, related. The A series,
0: I remember, right? Like they, the four A's.
1: Once they did that okay. there, uh, yeah. But it's not. They've they don't they've done the Pixel for the last bunch of years in October, and it'll probably be the same October, early November. Uh, they say fall. It's not September because that's iPhone month. And so they want to space it out where they'll get the attention that, that, that they want. So they said fall. My guess is, is October. And uh, one quick thing that we didn't talk about is um, security. Yeah. And Google's talk being pretty it. vague about it. But the quote is that the Pixel 6 is, quote, built with the most layers of hardware security in any phone. Which is, as I wrote in my story, a very weirdly specific claim. I was going to say, I'm not 100% it sure layers, what, it, what it means. You, know, you
2: can define layers in yeah, lots of ways. Maybe meaningful or not. <laughs> but
1: the point is that that's one of the things they chose to highlight. Yeah. yeah. So it does mean that now we, we've we talked before about the difference between security and privacy, and they're very different things. But the fact that Google is highlighting the security of the Pixel phone is, a, is definitely a good thing. And it speaks to the chip and the, and the integration and, and how all that's working. And I, that's an app. That's Apple. That's Apple at work. That's Apple putting pressure on the rest of the industry to get their phones as secure and tight as possible. And Android as well. Google has worked a ton over the last couple of years to get Android more secure with uh, to to kind of limit side loading and all the things that cause mm-hmm. those malware to creep in. And this is just one more example of that, which is also just great. You know, this is. The Pixel 6, regardless of how good the phone is, the, the premise of what's happening here is good for the industry.
3: Yeah.
2: Yep. Can't top that. I agree.
0: Great. Well, thank you both so much for calling in and joining me to chat about this. I think this is interesting. I feel like this is definitely like not going to be the last discussion that we ever have about the Google Tensor chip because I feel like once the Pixel 6 comes out and once the iPhone 13 comes out, there's probably going to be an opportunity for some more meaningful comparison. But in the meantime, it was great to sort of, you know, chat logistics, learn a little bit about it. So thank you both so much for joining. I really appreciate it.
1: Just quick. I want to say that I like this dribble of information. Google does this often, and I think it's awesome. I think Apple should do it. It's 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 like a little appetizer, sure, for the main course coming in a couple of months. And I don't think there's anything wrong with teasing the people who want this, the who want the product, that this is coming, and then shut up about it for a couple of months.
0: Eat up. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so much for calling, in. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So, right now, we are going to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the hybrid workforce. So, in many parts of the world, a lot of us have been working remotely for just about a year and a half now, and... As, again, in some parts in the world, some of us prepare to go back to the office, it means that companies need to start thinking really strategically about what hybrid-first work looks like. It's going to be something that's really appealing to a lot of people. So I have here um, Charlotte Truman, writer for Computer World, as well as Val Potter, the managing editor for features for Computer World. And Charlotte, you have a piece coming up on Computer World, which is going to be published on Monday as part of, um, you know, a bigger package of stories. So we'll be sure to link to that once it's live. But can you tell us a little bit, about, I guess, about um, what it kind of means to to cultivate a hybrid first workforce, because that hybrid first is definitely different than like the, you know, hybrid by um, necessity, I guess, sort of work that we've been doing right now.
4: Yeah. um, Thank you, Julia. So a lot of organizations or companies in the past have kind of have this work model where people are in the office most of the time that say, you've got kind of like a childcare issue or you've got like a maintenance issue and you need to be at home for whatever reason, you can flag that with your boss and say, hey, on Thursday, I'm gonna work from home, is that okay? Um, Obviously then the pandemic came along and kind of everyone was um, out of the office and in their homes and now kind of moving forward, a lot of companies are looking to adopt this hybrid model where um, employees get to decide Say they come into the office once a week or they're in the office three times a week, but actually there's no kind of one or the other. There's no stipulation um, of one of the other. And the big difference, as you kind of mentioned, between hybrid hybrid allowed and hybrid first is that there's real intention behind making this um, hybrid work model actually work for employees.
0: Yeah. So I guess let's just, I guess, reference your article a little bit and talk about um, what you were hearing from some sources about, you know, why they want to create a hybrid first, hybrid first workforce and kind of what it means to intentionally do so.
4: Yeah. So I think a lot of this is kind of driven by what employees want and kind of their experience over the last 18 months. Obviously, it's important to note that working from home in a pandemic is not really representative (laughs) of working from home generally. Certainly. You can't even get out to the shops very easily. That's obviously not what your experience would be like um, normally, day to day. Um, But yeah, so this kind of intention behind it is making sure that everything you do in terms of your new kind of way of working, that you think about your hybrid workers first so how are people that aren't in the office how is say I don't know um how is the collaboration gonna work but also make sure it works for them just as well as it's gonna work for people in the office so if you have an important meeting say how do you make sure that the people who are working remotely have just a good experience of that as the people that are sitting in the office. That's
0: important. And uh, Val, I actually want to turn this to you now. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what I guess the in-person versus remote um, bias could be when it comes to making important decisions like promotion, who takes on a project, and how managers are going to need to be really cognizant of who's working from home and who's in the office to make sure that people aren't getting looked over.
3: Uh, yeah, that's I mean, it's just a natural thing that when employees are out of sight they're out of mind. And so, you know, pre-pandemic times when most people worked in the office most of the time, including the highest levels, um, it, the the people who got noticed, the people who got the plum projects, the people who then got the promotions because they had just done these plum projects, um it tended to be the ones who were who were in the office more and uh, remote remote employees just, often that even if they were working harder, they were, you know, doing just as good or better work. Um, it's just a lot easier to overlook people who are remote. And so um, once we all we all worked from home all the time, um, that sort of went away. The playing field leveled a lot. And, um, you know, in a meeting uh, when it used to be there, Uh, you know, there were 15 people in a conference room and two on the bridge, Mm -hmm. you know, dialing in on the phone, it was really easy for those people on the phone to get forgotten. And so um, then once we all went home, and we're all in a zoom meeting with the Brady Bunch layout, (laughs) I put it's everybody on an equal footing. And um, it, you know, we all, we all kind of got back to this level playing field again. And now once employees start uh, going back into that, that meeting room again, um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to, um, to ensure that equality once again. And, um, and that's why it really has to be um, intentional. Um, You can't just assume that if the employees who are remote Um, are having a bad experience, that they're gonna raise their hand about it. Um, You really, really need to engage them and be proactive and make sure that 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 experience at home is just as good as the one in the office. And one of the things that the sources that Charlotte talked to um, kept kept stressing was that this has to come from the highest levels of management. Um, If your executives are in the office, Everybody else is going to think they have to be in the office too. Mm-hmm. They're also not going to understand what the experience is like. So uh, for for the remote employees. So again, it's if uh, if people are are the executives themselves are working at home, uh, they're going to see what's that that's like, and they're going to they're going to know. Okay, well, we need to work on this. We need to make this a more equal experience for everybody.
4: And just to kind of button in and point to that thing about making the experience equal, and a lot of companies. Um, with a kind of when they're talking about adopting this hybrid work model, a lot of well, one of the benefits, should I say, is that they can hire a more diverse range of people. So people with disabilities that might not be able to travel into an office so easily, people with kind of care commitments or people that live too far away that normally they'd have been excluded from that job. So um, this point about management and kind of not not knowing when management are going to be in the office, if that starts to slip and actually management do start coming back into the office five days a week and people that can be more flexible with then coming into the office themselves Mm
3: -hmm.
4: again they're going to be seen to be there and this unconscious bias will kind of slip in and actually these kind of talks that have been had around kind of equality and diversity they kind of slip away because the people that say like I say your newly kind of your new employees that might be disabled or might have care commitments they start to think oh perhaps I do now have to go back into the office because I need management to see me and actually it kind of just the whole thing unravels and you're back to square one.
0: Absolutely. So uh, it really does seem like the, the, the key to any success here is, and I know it's a pretty popular policy, um, Charlotte, it's like an, the overwhelming majority of, of um, you know, ex- company executives, you know, C-suite executives say, yes, like we will allow people to work hybridly. Remotely, whatever that really means for them. So, it, but it does kind of seem like if you're going to allow hybrid work, that basically just means that you really need to be thinking remote first, because it really does seem possible that these um, employees who are not, you know, physically in person in the office all the time can be at a disadvantage. And also just that their work experience just <laughs> won't be as. Good. So I think I want to maybe shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, some of the technologies around remote work that can be really helpful for implementing an intentionally hybrid work policy. So. You know, we've been like everyone is zooming all day long. I think we're used to that. But once some of us start being in the office, some of us are from home. What are some um, technology solutions, and also just like some the general IT uh, general policies that um, IT should be thinking about?
4: Yeah, so a lot of these kind of collaboration platforms that we've got so used to over the last eighteen months are actually now. as they move forward and kind of continue to develop new um, features for their platforms, they're actually doing it, or a lot of them are doing it with this kind of hybrid hybrid workplace in mind. So they're talking to their customers and their customers are saying, this is the work model that we want to have. How can your platforms facilitate that? So you mentioned Zoom, Um, for example, one of the things they've developed is um, when you're on a Zoom call, like like Val said earlier you kind of have this Brady Bunch layout mm-hmm. um obviously if you're like sat in an office so say that you had colleagues sat with you or I had colleagues sat with me normally we'd all be in the same frame but then the people dialing in remotely would be in a separate frame what Zoom have done is actually each person now will have their own kind of square so it doesn't feel kind of so much like us in the office versus you dialing in at home everyone again is on that like level playing field um another thing we've started to see is um the rise of kind of async asynchronous communication, especially asynchronous video. So Cisco actually kind of this week um, have announced a new uh, product called Vidcast, where instead of trying to scramble um, to have a meeting when everyone's in different time zones or everyone kind of is just busy for say weeks at a time, you can actually just record a short fifteen minute video. Um, with kind of um, where you share your screen or kind of upload content that you would be presenting in a meeting and then you upload it to the platform and then people can view that as and when is kind of accessible for them so um, yeah companies are definitely kind of mindful of this new kind of hybrid way of working and what they can do to kind of help support um, companies with that
3: and I'd, I'd like to stress too, it doesn't necessarily have to be new technology. But mm-hmm. um, you know, asynchronous uh, collaboration has actually been around for a while. I mean, that's what Google Docs are, or <laughs> or a shared a shared word document. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be uh, working simultaneously with with your coworkers. You could, you know, if there's a shared space where you can go um, and um, and collaborate, it doesn't necessarily have to be in real time. And and that really again helps those employees who have commitments care people they're caring for children they have to drop off at school or or not (laughs) these days um who knows um but um Uh, It, you know, just not insisting, you know, Zoom calls are great for what they are, uh, but that's not the only only way to communicate uh, and the only way to collaborate. And so that's something to keep in mind. And another um, uh, something that's sort of riffing on that, that actually is a newer technology. I mean, digital whiteboards have been around for a while, but. the, there's sort of a new breed of them that are coming out that that uh, offer a lot more advanced capabilities and it really is a they call them uh, shared canvases or, or visual collaboration spaces and um and they just sort of allow everything there's there's that traditional whiteboarding functionality where people actually can draw uh, as if it's on a whiteboard um, but they can also put sticky notes on it you know digital sticky notes they can um, uh, upload files they can upload their powerpoint presentation presentation, they can upload videos, and it all just kind of lives in this one big shared canvas. And you can have one for every project you're working on, or you could have a a team shared one or or however you want to, however you want to divide it up. But um, uh, there's, there are new things and and old uh, coming out that that um, are really good ways for teams to, to work together without necessarily having it be together in time as well.
0: Sure, and I think too what I, I imagine would be important is um, really making sure that when a lot of your remote well, not a lot, all of your remote workers are going to be relying on you know X Y Z technology solution, I would imagine that it's important as an IT team to like really make sure that you're engaging your employees as um as partners and making sure that you're available and open to hearing their opinions. Because if they're having a really miserable remote work experience or a really miserable hybrid work experience, then what was the point of the policy in the first place?
4: Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that kind of came up again and again when I spoke to people for this, um, this story is... Uh, obviously every company is going to be different and there'll be kind of overarching policies that come from on high that that's just going to be how it (laughs) is say oh you're mandated in the office these days a week or whatever there's going to be things that like senior management will um yeah I can say mandate but actually as you kind of get down like the lower levels and kind of like if you manage a team or something like that talk to your employees talk to your team and be like hey what will work for us as a team, what's going to make us as a team more productive? Do you, you want to let your colleagues know that between, like Val said, I have childcare commitments, I have a school run between these times. So don't mess like, don't message me between these times because I'm afraid I won't get back to you. Or oh, I work better in the morning. So can I start kind of two hours earlier and finish two hours um earlier? As long as that doesn't, I guess, impact the wider team, maybe that's something you can do. So you really need to again, it comes back to this kind of being intentional with it. You really need to engage your, engage your employees, find out what's going to work best for them. And then, yeah, go from there. And I'd I'd say that that works for
3: technologies you're adopting as well. You know, find out, find out what your, your remote workers pain points are and, and try to come up with work with them to come up with a technology solution that will, that will help address that problem. And, um, you know, there's there's no point. and And then, of course, once once you do bring in new tools and new technologies, make sure to take the time to train your users and, and that they, they actually understand how to use them. There's, there's no point in throwing a bunch of tools at them and letting them sink or swim. Um, that's not going to be a good experience for anybody.
0: Certainly not. <laughs> so I think I just want to transition here to talking about, OK, you know, these are all a a ton of great strategies to implement and something to certainly be consciously thinking about as, you know, in many parts of the world, well, I shouldn't even really say many, in some parts of the world, companies are welcoming employees back on, you know, certainly a modified basis in some cases. I want to talk about the, the consequences of not doing so. What is going to happen if you don't adapt and how will you sort of get left behind? You as in the company, your company.
4: Yeah, I wrote um, uh, earlier in the year um, about the UK, at least, about how um, unfortunately working from home is not uh, right and it's not uh, legally enshrined in law no matter how much employees kind of want it to. And you're absolutely right. There is, although like the overwhelming number of employees say that this is what they want, some employers, I mean, I can only really talk to kind of what I've seen in the UK, but um, in certain sectors, kind of banking and things like that, they're very keen to get people back into the office. Um, even just this week, our Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK came out and said, young people, if you're not in the office, you're going to be missing out on kind of career progression. It's really important that you work from the office. So there is definitely still kind of this. A kind of friction, I guess, between what employees want and what employers want or are kind of willing to offer. Um, but. Absolutely. I think in sectors where being kind of present in the office, where actually everyone has proven that you can work effectively from home, there's no, you don't need to have kind of face-to-face interactions with kind of clients or customers. Um, If you are hiring for roles and someone comes in and says, hey, so what's your flexible work policy like? If you don't have one or you don't offer one, I think you're going to struggle to kind of, take on a lot of employees or retain employees because if every other company in your sector has got a good kind of flexible working or remote working policy in place, I know where I'd rather go. So I think that's going to be a struggle for some companies if they're kind of refusing to kind of adapt, I guess. And and again, I, there's that
3: distinction between um, companies that are allowing remote work uh, and then those that are that are embracing it and really Mm -hmm. supporting it, because um, even if you have a a work from a flexible policy, but then you don't back it up by making it a really positive experience for everybody, um, the employees, you know, even if you're allowing it, it, your, your top talent's going to leave and go someplace else that's doing a better job of it. And even those employees who stay, maybe they just feel like they don't have any other choices. You know, maybe they're just going to, over time, become disengaged. If if they're working their butts off at home and, and doing the best they can and it's they're not getting anywhere, they're not getting those promotions, they're not getting the good assignments, um, maybe they stop trying so hard over time and you're not getting
4: their best work out of them. And I know it's kind of still early days, like we've said, in a lot of parts of the world, offices aren't even reopening yet, or we're kind of still a long way off. But just anecdotally, from people I know, and some of my friends that have kind of moved jobs recently or interviewed for jobs, one of the questions they've all asked is, what's your flexible work policy like? How many days a week am I going to have to be in the office? And that's really, again, for my friends that have been interviewing lately, that's really kind of informed their decision about the roles they've taken and the jobs they kind of interview for. So we're already starting to see it happen.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for calling in and chatting about it. I think there's some really great takeaways here, not only here in the video that we've discussed, but also Charlotte in your article that we will link below when it is live on Monday, August 9th. So if you're watching this live, it's not currently up yet, but it will be. So come back and you can check out the link in the description. So thank you both so much. I really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Thanks, Julia. Thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, please do give it a thumbs up. And if you are watching over on Computer World, do head over on the Computer World LinkedIn, do head over to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk. You can like the video over there, as well as subscribe to our channel so you never miss an episode. You can hit the bell icon as well so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you have any outstanding questions or comments that we didn't get to, please do leave them in the comments and I'll do my best to get back to you on Charlotte or Val's behalf. And thanks again for watching. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.